This is the Coach in the Classroom podcast. Here we explore the edges of the education world. Together we expand the boundaries by asking, what else is possible here? This podcast is hosted by Martin Richards, experienced teacher, coach and author. You can read more about Martin Richards on the website martinrichards.eu. Swimming Lessons for Secondary School Teachers by Martin Richards, Teacher, Coach, Author, read by Martin Richards. Martin Richards is an experienced secondary school teacher who's taught for over 30 years in many ways from traditional to modern. Retired from active service, Martin writes books. Chapter 1. Gulp. When learning to swim, almost drowning is a good start. No matter how much trainee teachers are taught, nothing beats personal experience. Learning about being a teacher from reading books or watching videos of teachers teach is like watching a demonstration of swimming. Unless you dip your head under the waves, gulp an unexpected mouthful of water and get confused by blurry vision and distorted aquatic sounds, you won't know what it's really like. I would like to show you the skills and strategies that a new teacher can develop over time as they mature into an experienced teacher. But listening to this is not enough. You must Strip off your clothes, put on your swimwear and get into the water because that's where the students are and your learning happens. Phase 1. You are the front of the room teacher. At the start of your career, you're a fresh university graduate with a degree in your chosen subject, full of top-level knowledge and deep understanding. You delight in your ability to relate important details about your subject at the drop of a hat. You have learned and now you will teach. You have a teaching degree, yet your immediate role models are still your previous teacher. You've studied different teaching strategies, but not yet seen them in action, except perhaps on a video or on a brief visit to an alternative school. You start teaching at a secondary school. There are students here and you hope you can make a difference to their lives by teaching. It happened for you. Why not for them? Lesson time. You usually start your lessons with a roll call. Of course, you must know who is in the lesson and who is not. School administration requires the class attendance list to be updated every lesson for safety reasons. Registers collected from admin at the start of the lesson are delivered to the same place within 15 minutes or there will be consequences, a scolding visit from admin. You raise your voice to silence the students so the lesson can start. How can you begin to teach them anything otherwise? It's what your teachers did. You start the lesson of the day according to your plan. You fill your lesson with lots of chalk and talk and face the board while explaining and demonstrating what the student need to learn. They'd better listen. 
because this type of question will be on the exam paper at the end of term. You know because you've checked the syllabus and passed exam papers. It will also come up on the test at the end of the week because you designed it that way. Students who speak up while you're talking interrupt the flow of your lesson. You shut them down. You start your explanation again, speaking in a louder voice to be sure that everyone, even those at the back of the room, can hear what they need to learn. You are asleep. Your teaching follows your memories of what your teachers used to do. You hand out exercises for the rest of the lesson so they can practice several times what you have taught them. You give the same work to everybody, regardless of their ability or interest. They have the same textbook, although some students have forgotten theirs at home and must share. You issue pens, pencil and paper to those who don't have them. How else can they do their schoolwork if they don't have them? And why is it the same students who forget them all the time? You note that some students are able to do the exercise and others struggle. You see that some students are slow, while others are fast. You wonder if some students need remedial lessons so they can catch up and keep up. You marvel at your previous teacher's ability to keep going in the face of such challenges. You struggle on. You persevere despite the headaches. Your teaching strategy quickly reveals that the students come with a broad range of aptitudes, talents, intelligences, attitudes, etc. You wonder how you'll be able to cope with them. You wish that some students could be moved to a lower class so they would not disturb their classmates. And you wish that some students could fit into the higher class, if only there were enough chairs. In your ledger, you note each student's grade for today. The students gave you grades and you liked knowing where you were in the class. You were always in the top three. At the end of the time, the students file out of the classroom. You give verbal rewards to the best students and verbal warnings to the worst. Luckily, your curiosity comes to the rescue. Questions pluck at your conscience. What were they doing at the back of the room? And what were they talking about behind their hands? In the next chapter, I'll tell you what happens when you let your curiosity guide you in the exploration of another world. Swim! Wake up and start swimming! In the previous chapter, I suggested that a novice teacher, despite the years of teacher training, are still strongly influenced by the people they had as their teachers. And I suggested this puts them into a kind of hypnotic state, following memories, embedded instructions that are perceived as useful and right. Unless the novice teacher awakens from this hypnotic state, they risk repeating the teaching behaviours of their previous teacher. Teachers are from a different generation to their teacher's teachers and need different behaviour from their current teachers. I also suggested that curiosity about the students in the room will serve to break you out of the hypnotic state and bring clarity to what is actually happening in the classroom and provide you the inspiration and resources to develop. Phase two, you become 
Side of the room teacher. You've been teaching a while. You're tired. Okay, you're exhausted. And you wonder how much longer this situation will continue. How much longer you will carry on. You know that you're not reaching all of your students. Their test results show it. Their deteriorating behaviour in the classroom shows it. And you are feeling it in the uphill struggle every day to get past the unteachables and reach those who are willing to learn. You reflect on your role model, certain teachers who reach the kind of students you are struggling with, and you realise that you've only begun to learn about being a teacher. You're waking up. Your curiosity leads you to ask, what were they doing at the back of the class? What were they doing, talking behind their hands? This is the moment when you decide whether or not to teach your subject or your students, or both. You know your subject. So, who are your students? You decide to find out. You ask the school admin for a copy of the class register, their home address, and the class photograph. You proceed to find out everything they have about the students in this class. You talk with the school counsellor. You talk with the students, others, teachers. You talk with the head of year the head of your subject, and anyone else who might have some useful information about the people in your class. And as you read between the lines, you find out a little more about the stories behind the behaviour in the classroom. Lesson time. You start your lessons with a silent roll call. You mark the register in a calm silence. You show concern for any missing students. When you need to, you get help from certain students the natural leaders, as to the health of their classmates. Soon, you're able to name every student from memory. Soon, the students know this, and now they begin to know that you care about them, and they are beginning to care about you, and what you know about the subject that you continue to enthuse. The lesson of the day usually begins with you not saying anything. You stand and wait for attention. Took eight minutes the first time, four minutes the next. Now it usually takes two or three minutes depending on the weather. Yes, students are affected by the weather. You begin the learning process by leading a discussion about the previous lesson and the homework. You ensure fair turn-taking by using a checklist of their names, calling on students to contribute or pass. Your focus is to map who knows what and who has gaps in their knowledge, what gaps. You are planning this lesson together. You resist the urge to criticise or comment when you discover that most of the students have not done the homework. Instead, you ask what arrangements need to be made so they are able to do it. Your lack of criticism allows the students to open up about the challenges they have in the classroom and at home. You learn about them. They learn about themselves. The subject learning will come next. You issue work to be done in accordance to where the students are in their understanding of the topic. You teach, on the board or in small group discussions, what needs to be taught to those who lack it. Other students continue to read and practice on their own or with a classmate. You see students speaking up as part of the learning dialogue. In the middle of a lesson, when a student calls on you for support, 
you quickly assess if their question is something that will engage the whole class or if it is of a more private matter. Whenever possible, you encourage students to solve problems in dialogue with you and their classmates. You ask, who else finds this question challenging? And who has a solution they're willing to share? Then you move them into small groups to share and learn. These days, it's not only you who writes on the board. Students write on the board to demonstrate their skills by solving different problems or showing what they've learned from the research and study. And you take notes. You keep your chalk and talk to a minimum. Modern whiteboards and dry erasers are wonderful and you're not the only one who wants to use them. Videos and computer programs are a valuable asset as well as a reward system, but you've not fully integrated them into your teaching yet. Next. In the next chapter, I will show how to fully involve students in their learning. I will also show how media such as videos and computer programs can release you from the mechanics of teaching and allow you to become a teacher who doesn't teach. Float. Let go and trust the water to carry you. In the previous chapters, I've suggested that teachers wake up to the true nature of teaching when they decide to teach students rather than their subject. Does this mean that they have to let go of teaching their subject? Perhaps, at least for a while. A well-known truth about teaching is that students don't care what you know until they know that you care. But that's like saying the sea is made of water and the water is wet. There's nothing that beats the experience of falling into the sea, getting drenched and swallowing a mouthful of salty water for teaching you how to swim. In the first chapter, I suggested that a teacher who's actively curious about their students is building a foundation on which they can learn. They can learn about themselves, each other, and the subject, in that order. In this chapter, I will show you how to involve students in their learning. I will also show how media, such as videos and computer programs, can release you from teaching and allow you to become a teacher who doesn't teach. Phase three. You're becoming the back of the room teacher. At university, you studied your favorite subject for years. You studied it at school for years too. Now you have decided to put an equal amount of time to study teaching strategies and finding out about your students. You are learning about teaching from books and courses, from observing your colleagues teaching. You are awake to choosing role models and strategies that suit you and your students' needs. The arrival of new students each year brings new needs, new research, more learning for you. And you've always been good at learning. Lesson time. You still take the roll call because it's a requirement. You ask, is anybody missing? And you do your best to find out why and what, if anything, you can do about it. Then you turn your focus on the students in the room. Lessons begin in groups, discussing previous lesson and homework. They use your printed cards with key questions to support their learning. What ahas did you experience when you read the text? What challenges have you met with this material? Or, in three sentences, what do you know that you didn't know before you started the homework? 
or What three things would you like to know more about? On some days, your focus is on setting goals for the whole class, inspired and compelled by the syllabus. On other days, your focus is on guiding students to set ambitious, courageous goals for today, for themselves. You use rubrics to describe the long-term goals and how they will be assessed at the end of term. Earlier, you wrote them before the start of term, and now the students do it together, under your guidance, during the lesson. Goal setting has become part of their learning process. You notice that goals that are set by the students are sometimes more meaningful to them than goals set by you or the syllabus. You're learning to balance the needs and interests of the students against the demands and requirements that are placed upon you. You're becoming adept at setting individual and group goals for each lesson. During the lesson. Lesson planning is taking almost no time outside the lesson at all. On some days, you prepare material for your students to read, watch or listen to. On other days, you invite your students to research and share what they have found. They are better at online researching than you are. They are better at creating videos than you. From time to time, they astound you with what they can do. You relax because they are taking over their learning. Indeed, you are learning about platforms, apps and learning strategies from your students. You set up an online collaborative workspace, still influenced by what you used to do in the classroom. Then your students step outside that box and blow your mind with what they come up with. You give help to the whole class via certain students. You realise that if one student has a problem, they all may have it. And we all may have part of an answer. And it's okay to share strategies and solutions. You promote the idea that helping your classmate is a way of learning more, as well as a way of being a good citizen. You see yourself momentarily outside the role of subject teacher and be the leader for this small learning community, a community of differently gifted learners who will soon become part of the wider community. You know there are certain values, attributes and capabilities that will serve them well in the world. You hope that you've got it right and you are teaching them from the future, not the past. And you remain the greatest expert on your subject in the room. You get to teach. You get to chalk and talk from time to time. It's okay. Your students know that you mean well. More often, you use a Q&A dialogue to reveal the learning. You ask, what answer do you have to... And when you've heard an answer or two, you ask, who agrees with that? What makes you think so? And then you move on to, who disagrees? Who has a different answer? Who has a different perspective? You lead the exploration, making sure that everyone who wants to speak does so with respect to the time available. In some classes, you notice there are students who struggle with the work that you're doing. They need different instructions, support and rewards. Thank goodness you've managed to create a learning environment so the majority of the students can carry on learning on their own and with each other, whilst you learn how to handle these different students' challenges. Wow, you're on a steep learning curve someday. In some classes, you notice there are students who are much better at your favourite subject than you ever were. 
they amaze you. Had you still been attached to being the cleverest person in the room, you would have found this challenging. But you're not attached anymore. You're happy to be their teacher, to help them grow and learn in any way you can. You recall that the most intelligent, successful and influential people once sat in a classroom with a teacher who had the privilege to be there when it happened. And now it's your turn. And slowly you reflect and realise that you've stopped teaching. Most of the time, you've created a powerful, caring learning environment and can watch the learning happen under your care and guidance. You took care of the learners and other learning You have been listening to the Coach in the Classroom podcast, where we explore the edges of the education world. Together we expand the boundaries by asking, what else is possible here? For more information, contact Martin Richards via the website martinrichards.eu. That's martinrichards.eu. Thank you.